Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to Chatham Community Church once again. Morning. Morning. It's good to see y'all. My name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm glad to see y'all here this morning, uh, especially if you are a guest, whether it's your first time, your first time in a long time, and especially if you're back after having been with us for the first time uh, at Christmas. Welcome. So glad you're here. I know a number of you came back to bring uh, some of the toiletry bags, and I'm so grateful for uh, just for the turnout uh, in the midst of all that. There's been such a great response, and we're so excited to see what God does in and through that as uh, Love Chatham gets to distribute that in the weeks and months to come. So glad you're here. If I haven't had the chance to meet you or talk to you for a little bit, I'm going to be under the exit sign at the end of the service. Come say hi. I'd love to hear your name, where you're from, how you found us and what your experience was like this morning. And if you already know me, you can also stop by and say hi. I'd be glad to say hi to you as well. So don't, don't think that's just an invitation for people who are new. Um, early this month, I had the opportunity to read a novel called Tress of the Emerald Sea, written by Brandon Sanderson. Uh, Sanderson drew some inspiration from this novel uh, uh, from watching the movie The Princess Bride, which is one of my favorite movies, with his wife and daughters during the pandemic. And as he was watching it, this thought occurred to him. What if when she found out that Wesley, and Wesley is the person she loves, that what, if, what if when Buttercup found out that, what, when she found out that Wesley had been lost at sea and possibly been killed, but not for sure, what if when she heard that, instead of just staying where she was, she went out? to find out what happened and try to rescue him. And that sort of inspired this story, Tress of the Emerald Sea. So in Tress of the Emerald Sea, when her beloved Charlie gets taken hostage by a sorceress after having gone out on a sea voyage, Tress finds her way onto a ship and sets out to find out what's happened to Charlie and hopefully rescue him and bring him back. Now, as Tress goes out, Tress is not a sailor. She is not a warrior. And she is not adept at magic, but she's heading out on this mission. And what she has is a love for Charlie, she has resourcefulness, and she has determination. She is determined to find Charlie and find out what happened to him. And at key moments of adversity in the story, and there are many of them, either at key moments of adversity or when adversity is just about to come, when there are situations that she doesn't have the means to resolve one character keeps telling her over the course of the story, you already have what you need. You already have everything that you need. And when she finds herself in those moments of desperation where it feels like all is lost, where it feels like her journey will be over, she'll never find Charlie or she won't be able to rescue him, she remembers that phrase. And she thinks again and she looks again and without fail a light bulb goes off and things turn for the good. That belief that she already had what she needed helped her stay engaged and keep looking when things felt like they were lost until she found a way forward. It's easy to check out of situations. It's easy to avoid situations when we are convinced that we have nothing to offer, that we have nothing to contribute, nothing to add. But if we believe that we have something to offer. If we are convinced that we have something to offer, on most days, we'll stay engaged. On most days, we'll press through. On most days, we'll press on, even in the most challenging situations. We're in the second week 
of a series here at Chatham Community Church that we've titled Living Supernaturally. It's a series where we're talking about what it means to partner with the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not talking about, when we talk about living supernaturally, we're not talking about sort of blissing out or living on another plane of existence and being completely disconnected from the realities of our world. What we're actually talking about is what it means to live with the Holy Spirit, partnering with the Holy Spirit in everything that is before us, that we have to set our hands to, our minds to, everything that we dedicate ourselves to. And one of the things that living supernaturally does is it grows in us a belief that no matter the situation, we have something to offer. We have something to offer because we have the Holy Spirit. Uh, So if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 3? Today we're going to be looking at a story where two of the early followers of Jesus find themselves in a situation. They meet a person, and the person is asking for something that they don't have. But because they have the Holy Spirit, because they are living supernaturally, they are able in that situation to offer something that that person needs. So again, we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put it on this. It's on the screen. We're going to start in verse 1, and here we go. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's set the stage for what's happening. Jesus has risen from the dead. He has spent time with his disciples, and just as he's about to ascend into heaven, he tells his disciples to wait in Jerusalem, to wait in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit was going to come on them, was going to come upon them, was going was was to descend on them. And that has happened by the point in which we're reading this text. The Holy Spirit has descended on the followers of Jesus who were gathered together. And right after that, Peter preaches this sermon and, and thousands of people decide to follow Jesus. And this community has begun to form around Jesus. That's what's leading into this passage where Peter and John, are. we find them going to the temple going to the center of Jewish worship in order to pray, in order to pray alongside many others. Maybe some of them were people who were followers of Jesus. Most of them were likely not yet followers of Jesus. The early days of these newly filled Holy Spirit men and women were marked by a commitment to community, a commitment to learning, a commitment to understanding the teachings of Jesus, a commitment to prayer, a commitment to being with each other and figuring out how to do this new way of life. And this was not separate from what it meant to live supernaturally. This was actually integral to what it meant supernaturally. It's very tempting to believe 
that because we have the Holy Spirit in us, because we have the Spirit of God, and because part of the Spirit's job is to lead us into truth, to guide us, to reveal things to us, to help us understand more of God, it's very tempting to think that we are now self-sufficient and self-sustaining, right? In way, there are ways in which because we have the Spirit of God, we have everything that we need, but that doesn't mean that we are self-sufficient and self-sustaining. There are people who say things like, well, because I have the Spirit, I don't need really to read the Bible because the Spirit will reveal all truth to me. There are people who say, I have the Spirit, so I don't really need to pray because the Spirit already knows what I need, and so I don't actually need to pray, and the Spirit will provide. There are people who say things like, well, I have the Spirit, I don't need people, I don't need community, I don't need anyone else. But what we see in stories like this one, we need to go back a little bit there. (laughs) What we see in stories like this one is that actually living supernaturally doesn't push us away from community, and it doesn't push us away from praying, and it doesn't push us away from the kinds of habits and practices that draw us closer to God. Living supernaturally increases our hunger for God. It increases our longing to know more of God, to understand God, to grow in our love of God, and it increases our sense of interdependence. The more we live supernaturally, the more we live in this life of the Spirit, the more we become aware that we need each other, that we need other people who are living supernaturally. The more you, will, you live supernaturally, the more you will want to know God. The more you live supernaturally, the more you'll see how much we need each other. One of the themes that emerges in Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s writings and his speeches is interdependence. Interdependence is one of the things that's woven throughout his work as a civil rights leader. It's one of the ways he made the case for why everyone should care about the civil rights struggle. He spoke about us all as being caught up in an inescapable network of mutuality. This idea that we need the people around us that we need them to share in the struggle with, that we need them to fight with us for the things that are worth fighting for. We need the people around us to do life with. We need the people around us to encourage us and for us to be able to give encouragement too. When we're living supernaturally, we need the people around us to, to provide us some accountability, some sense of whether the ways we're headed or the things we're doing honor God or where they don't, and for us to provide that to them. We need people when we're living supernaturally to provide us discernment? Are the things that we're sensing as we're trying to live supernaturally, are they from God or not? We need people to pray for us. And we need people we can pray for. We need people to be able to see with us the opportunities to partner with the Spirit, what they look like, and be able to encourage us to pursue them. As we live supernaturally, as we seek to meet that hunger for God, as we seek to embrace that need for community, what we'll see happening is that there will be opportunities that emerge, opportunities that emerge to partner with the Spirit in deeper and more meaningful ways. And that's part of what's happening in this passage here. Peter and John have been living supernaturally, and on this day, they get an opportunity to partner with the Spirit in a deeper and meaningful way. They come across this man, this man who has been laid near the gate or at the gate called beautiful, this man who has never had use of his legs. He has never been able to walk. 
He hasn't been able to work. He is not able to provide himself by means of of his labor. So the way he seeks to provide himself is that he goes and asks people to provide him with funds, to provide him with charity. This is part of the sort of Jewish religious culture. So he's brought there every day so that he can acquire what he needs to eat and to do whatever else he needs to do. They come across this man and he asks them for money because that's what he does every day because that's what he needs. He does that to everyone who walks by him. And then probably after asking them for money, he turns and asks the next person for money, right? Because he's got to maximize his opportunities to get the attention of as many people as possible. But Peter and John stopped that day. And Peter says to him, look at us. And the man looks at them. He turns his attention to them. They want him to see them, and they want him to know that they see him. One of the hard things, and there are many, when people are in difficult situations, not just homelessness or hunger or poverty, but lots of other difficult situations, is that people can come to a point in the midst of a difficult situation where they start to feel like they are invisible or where they're made to feel like they're invisible. Because people ignore them, because people don't attend to them, because people give up. And that sense of feeling invisible can shatter someone's sense of dignity. It can shatter their sense of value, their sense of worth. And in the first century, someone like this man that they're encountering would have experienced life as feeling less than, because in many ways he was thought of as less than. That shatters someone's sense of dignity, someone's sense of value, someone's sense of self-worth. But this man is valuable. This man is made in the image and likeness of God. He is precious to God. He is precious to God. So it makes sense when we're living supernaturally, right, as people who are living supernaturally encounter him, that that the first thing that they do is something that addresses dignity and self-worth worth. When they engage with him, the things that happen seem to affirm his dignity. See, when we are living supernaturally, one of the things that we see is one of the, one of the things that the Spirit always does is the Spirit works in ways that afford and preserve the dignity of people. The ways the Spirit works are never meant to belittle, to shame, or to dismiss people. The Spirit works in ways that acknowledges that People are made in the image of God. They are valuable. They are beloved. They are precious. You and I and everyone are made in the image of God. We are valuable. We have worth. Living supernaturally never shames, never belittles, never dismisses. It's always going to work in ways that dignify the person, that affirm their value, their identity as image bearers. That's true as we seek to live supernaturally, The invitations of the Spirit will always preserve our dignity, our value, and our self-worth. And they will always preserve the dignity, value, and worth of the people that the Spirit invites us to engage with. All right. So Peter and John are making eye contact with this man, right? They've got him right there. And now this man, what he expects is he expects them to give him money. Because that's what he's there to do. He's there to get money so that he can provide for himself. It's what he's asking for. It's what he needs. It's what he needs every day that he's at that gate. But Peter and John don't have money. They don't have what this man needs. 
It, looks, it may look from the outside like they have nothing to offer. In fact, by stopping and getting his attention, instead of walking by, they are robbing him of the opportunity to get money from other people. They're taking his time. They are keeping him from asking other people. But Peter and John seem confident that they have something to offer. They seem convinced that they have something to offer. And they do because they have the Holy Spirit. And that's not just true of Peter and John, friends. That's true of you and I and everyone who calls on the name of Jesus as Savior and Lord. We have the Holy Spirit, which means it doesn't matter what the situation is, we have something to offer. Doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, how long you've been at this, or how new you are, you have something to offer because you have the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying that what we have to offer is the thing that's going to solve every situation and wrap it up in a nice, pretty bow, right? I'm not talking about us being the saviors of every situation. But because we have the Holy Spirit, here's what's true. We are never without recourse. We are never helpless or hopeless in the midst of situations, and we are never helpless or hopeless when we encounter someone who has need. We have something to offer, God knows everything that is needed in a situation, both what is apparent and what is not apparent. God knows it. God knows what is needed, and God is looking to bring about good. God never lets evil or destruction or pain or loss have the final word. There's always a part of the good work God is seeking to do that we can play a part in. There's always something that we may have to offer that we can bring about as we live supernaturally. There may be encouragement to give. There may be love to demonstrate. There may be wisdom to share. There may be help to extend. There may be serving that is needed among many, 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 many other things. We talked last week about living supernaturally as bringing good news to the poor, at at, at bringing freedom for those who are ensnared and those who are caught against opposition. We play part in that in small and big ways. We also talked about recovery of sight to the blind. Sometimes what we have, what we are able to offer, in fact, what we are invited to offer is prayers for God's intervention in some of the most impossible situations. Sometimes that's what we have to offer, a prayer in hope and in faith in some of the most vulnerable moments of people's lives, some of the most desperate moments of people's lives that God would intervene. Sometimes it may even be that what we have to offer is the ushering in of miracles. Sometimes it may even be that what we have to offer is the ushering in of the miraculous. And I know this is a hard bridge for many of us to cross. It's been a hard bridge for me to cross at times as well. It's a hard bridge to cross because though there are times where there may be a strong indication that the Spirit is going to intervene in a miraculous way, I've never experienced that, but I've heard of people who talk about that. Most of the times... We have no idea what's going to happen. Most of the times we don't know how the Spirit is going to work. Oftentimes there is no guarantee when we step into the areas of living supernaturally that involve the miraculous. And that's hard. 
That's risky. That invites vulnerability. And it, we, rub up the, we, we bump up against this, this thing inside us. We don't want to be people who give false hope. We don't want to create false hope in people. We don't want to disappoint. We don't want to feel like we failed. We don't want to feel like we're responsible for them continuing in their situation or we're responsible for a miracle not happening. I get that. That's why it's a hard bridge to cross. Over the course of my time as a follower of Jesus, I've had seasons where I've uh, prayed like faithfully for God to heal people. And early on, I would run out of steam because no one would get healed. <laughs> you know, and I would do the things it says in Scripture, and I would pray with what I felt was the faith that, it had, that, that Scripture invited me to have, and nothing would happen. And so I would get to a point where I'd be like, all right, I'm, I'm done. I guess this doesn't happen. Or I guess it's not for me, or I don't understand it. And then, you know, like uh, some time would pass, and I'd read Scripture, and I'd hear stuff, and I'd get conviction. I'd be like, all right, well, we're going to try this again. And I would ask God, God, give me the gift of healing, or give me something, nothing. Nothing. It was super discouraging, friends. Super discouraging. And then one time I heard a friend, a mentor, who's faithful in praying for healing. And he talked about how, you know, he, people didn't always get healed. He didn't always see miracles, right? If you saw them all the time, they wouldn't be miracles. Um, but he didn't see healing all the time. And I was like, why aren't you discouraged? How do you keep going? And he said, my part is to be faithful. My, my part is to pray and to ask, right, to live supernaturally. God is the one who brings healing. God is the only one who can do that. God is the one who does the miraculous. My job is to be faithful with my part and let God take care of his. Now, that's not a cop-out, right? I own that. And from that point on, man, I pray for healing. You, some of you have had me pray for you to be healed. And you haven't been healed in the moment. And I'm going to keep praying for healing. Maybe someday I'll see it. Maybe someday I'll see it. I've seen signs of it, but not a full healing. And it's, what's kept me going is this idea that my part is to be faithful, to usher in, to invite God to act, and it's God's to do his. And that's not a cop-out, because I can't do miracles. It's not in my power. It's only in God's, and God's responsible for his part. What I can do is offer a belief, offer an opportunity, offer an invitation that the one who can do miracles is present, that the one who can do miracles wants to bring about good, that the one who can do miracles wants to bless, and then let's see what happens. And I invite him to work. Now, there are lots of caveats around how we care about people in the midst of this, and we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. But for now, I just want you to be open, the, open to the idea that sometimes what it means to live supernaturally is to step into the spaces where we're inviting the possibility of a miracle happening. We're inviting the possibility, or we're open to it. Let's take a different pass at this. Hockey legend Wayne Gretzky, one of the greatest players to lace up skates, is quoted as saying, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And I know there are some fans of The Office here that are chuckling right now because there is a quote from that show attached to it, but let's, let's keep going here. Here's the thing, Gretzky took a lot of shots, and he missed a lot of shots, but he also scored a lot, record numbers even, game winners, led his team to championships, but there was disappointment as well. But he was a shooter, he was a scorer, and that's what he had to offer on his teams. You and I have the Holy Spirit. 
That's what we have to offer. The Holy Spirit can bring about good in any number of ways, including the miraculous. Now, will it ever happen for us? I can't promise it. I can't promise that any one of us is going to be involved in something miraculous because I don't know. But here's what I do know. I know that if we live like we have nothing to offer, we will never see what's possible when we offer what we have. If we live like we have nothing to offer, we will never see what's possible when we offer what we have. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit of God who throughout history has accomplished the miraculous. And if we live like we don't have him, if we live like we're not partnering with him, if we live like that's not possible, then we may never have the opportunity to see it happen. So let's press in. Let's press in. Peter and John stopped, and the man was healed. Muscles that had never been developed, right? Muscles that had never been developed because this man had never walked were now strong, right? The passage makes a point of telling us all the things this man did when he stood up. He hopped around, he walked around, he was strong. It's as if he always walked. There was so much joy that was birthed in this man. You see it in how he responds. What if? What if we got to be part of things like that in Chatham County? There are needs in Chatham County for things like that. And we have the Spirit. The question isn't whether there are the needs or the opportunities. The question is whether we will step into those opportunities and offer what we have. But that's not the end of the story. Let's read on to wrap it up. We'll pick it up in verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us uh, as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate. We'll read a little further on. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. The man who is healed is recognizable. People know who he is. People know what he's been about. People know where he's been every day. And it becomes apparent that something miraculous has happened, that he has changed. The impossible has become possible. So people want to come and see. As we live supernaturally, one of the things that we will have happen is that we'll see, we'll see it attract and intrigue people because living supernaturally attracts and intrigues. Supernatural living attracts and intrigues. And it's not just the miraculous that attracts and intrigues. Many of us have had experiences where as we're growing in our love for God, as we're growing in being obedient to the promptings of God and the Spirit, as we're stepping into life in Christ or life in Jesus, people ask questions. People want to know. People want to know why some of us are so generous. People want to know why some of us are able to forgive. People want to know why some of us are so gracious in some of our works. And I know those are the stories that I hear from many of you or about many of you. It attracts and it intrigues. It's not just the miraculous. 
Partnership with, a, with the Spirit transforms us, and it guides our choices in ways that compel people to want to know more. When we live supernaturally, we will attract and intrigue. The crowd is curious. And naturally, they're looking at Peter and John, because Peter and John are the X factor in, to their eyes in this situation. They must be the source of the miracle, but they immediately clarify. They immediately clarify, because it's not about them. Supernatural living is never about us, and it's never about our egos. Now, when I say it's not about us, I'm not saying that we don't matter. We partner with the Spirit. Of course we matter. I mean, it's, I mean it's not about propping us up. It's not about propping us up. What Peter and John do is open the door to usher in the opportunity, and that's what you and I get to do when we live supernaturally. We open the door to usher in the opportunity for God to be at work, realizing that it isn't about us can help manage situations where something doesn't seem to happen, where it seems like prayers aren't answered. What's our part is our part, and what God's part is his. Ultimately, what supernatural living does is it points people to Jesus, and it invites people to life in him. It invites people to life in him. That's what Peter and John do. As the crowds gather, as the crowds draw or are drawn to what's happened, as they focus on them, Peter shares about Jesus. And Peter invites them to turn their lives to him. There's a redirect. And where the day started with one life changed, now many, many, many more lives have been changed. Because Peter and John, on their way to pray, as they were living supernaturally, stopped. They stopped and they gave what they had to offer. They stopped and they gave what they had to offer. At the end of what Peter says to the crowd, he invites them to turn to God and he says, so that times of refreshing may come. That sounds really good, doesn't it? Times of refreshing. It sounds like the kind of stuff we need, the kind of stuff our world needs. We talked last week about 2023 being the year of the Lord's favor. And I think times of refreshing is well in line with that. Times of refreshing came for the people Peter and John spoke to that day. Times of refreshing came for the man who was healed, all because they lived supernaturally. Here's what I'm inviting us to do. I'm inviting us to live supernaturally, to partner with the Spirit in big and small ways, in whatever's before us, so that times of refreshing may come so we may continue to usher in the year of the Lord's favor. Now, I've talked a bit about the miraculous. It's in the passage. I I talked about it because I believe it's an area that, that, that some of us might need to press into, might need to attempt. But I want to talk about the way, a way in which living supernaturally looks like in the day to day. So I want to talk about something that seems very mundane, but has been a way that I've been living, I hope, supernaturally in the last few months. Over the last few months, uh, one of the ways I've been responding to the Spirit's promptings, right, to seek to partner with the Spirit, is by having different groups of people over to my house for different types of things. Um, now, I say I'm responding to the Spirit's prompting because I've been doing it a lot, and I am an introvert, and that drains me, and it takes a lot of work to make it happen, but I felt like God wanted me to do these sorts of things, so I've been inviting different groups of people for a variety of things, and there's one particular person that as I was reflecting back, has gotten invited to just the fun stuff I do. Just the fun stuff, right? I do fun stuff and I pray about who to ask and I invite God into those spaces. He's come up for some of the lighthearted and fun stuff that I do. And it's been great to have him over. 
And as I've had him over, we've talked about why I do these things. We've talked about um, sort of like what I, what I get from it, how I meet God in the midst of that. And what I found out in the sort of months and weeks after that is that he's integrated some of these things into his life. He's sort of adopted them, owned them. He's brought them into how he lives. Now, I don't know if being around me doing these things just gave him permission or gave him ideas, maybe both, but what I see is fruit in his life. I see the effect it's having on his outlook, and tough things are happening in his life, but I see the effect on his outlook. I see the effect on his disposition. And it's not just that I see that it's helped him, even as he's integrating it into his life, I hear it from the people around him, that they're noticing that something is changing. Is this refreshing in his life? I don't know. I think so. Maybe a little bit. But what I do know is that it's clearly been good. It's clearly been good for him. It seems like it's what he needed, and it seems like it's blessing those around him. Sometimes living supernaturally will involve stepping into risky places and praying for miracles. Sometimes. But every day we have opportunities to live supernaturally by partnering with the Spirit in the things that we have before us in whatever we have to do, in our work, in our studies, in our play, in our friendship. And in the midst of that, we may see opportunities for people to experience time of refreshment, to experience the year of the Lord's favor. Maybe for you it's going to look like the miraculous. Maybe it's going to look for you like the, and I'm putting this in quotes, the mundane. Whatever it is, I want to invite you to figure out what does it look like for you? Take a moment right now. I'm going to pray in just a moment. Take a moment and ask God what living supernaturally is going to look like for you this week. Where are you going to ask God for partnership, the spirit for partnership? How are you going to attend to it? Let's pray. Lord, whether it's through the miraculous or through the seemingly mundane, I want to see people in Chatham County pointed to you because the people who follow you have decided to live supernaturally, because we've decided to partner with you, because we've engaged in living in the Spirit, because we've, set, we've, we've given ourselves over to offer what we have, because we've been open to prayer, to encouragement, to wisdom, even to ushering in the opportunity for miracles. Lord, grow that in us. Grow that in us. Lord, I want times of refreshing. I want it for us in this room. I want it for the people who are represented by the people in this room. Lord, we said last week that this would be the year of the Lord's favor. Not just the year of the Lord's favor, but to inaugurate the age of the Lord's favor for all of us. May it be so. May we partner with you. May we press through fear. And may we trust that as we do our part, you'll do yours. In Jesus' name, amen.